Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and our word on KCB 106.5 FM Los Angeles, 102.3 FM Riverside, and 1050 AM Palm Springs. We are at the interview part of the show. So uh, joining me today, we have an author, Tom Mendocino. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Um, okay, I'm not sure if I said your name. Was it Mendocino or Mendocino? Well, technically it is Mendocino, but my father was first generation, and like many first generations who were born in 1921, he decided that uh, he needed to Americanize it. So uh, much to my grandfather's chagrin, he changed it to Mendocino. Um, and unlike many people of my generation, I decided that if it was good enough for my father, it's good enough for me. So I'm still Mendocino. So, uh, I go by Mendocino. Okay. Hey, just making sure. I always like to do that. Um, now let's talk about, uh, let's talk about Tom. So Tom, you've written several books. Um, before we get into the books themselves and that, um, when did it start for you? Like what? What made you start writing and write your first book? Uh, how far back do you really want to go? <laughs> I was bored. Uh, no, no. Just, uh, was, there, was there something that clicked? You know, like, for, uh, you know, something that all of a sudden you were like, i got to write this. Or where did, where did well, it Well, there's, there's a big, long gap there um, because originally um, – I'm, I'm 66 years old. I'm no spring chicken. And I um, originally, I was encouraged uh, to become a writer when I was an undergraduate 
at Penn. And I did a seminar with a gentleman named Jerry Mangione, who is somewhat forgotten now, but he had written a book called Monte Allegro, and which was uh, what you now call autofiction, people call it. And um, he was a WPA writer. And he, he, he had a quite a long and successful career. And one of the things that um, had always disturbed him was that while Italian-Americans were very accomplished in many of the arts, um, uh, painting, uh, as a matter of fact, his nephew was the jazz musician Chuck Mangione, that there really wasn't much of a presence of Italian-Americans in literature. Um, there were John Fonte was an exception. Um, his name is escaping me right now, but the gentleman that wrote Christ in Concrete. So I had, um, I, I'm, a, I'm a gay man, but I had a, a girlfriend then. I was sort of bisexual at that time. And she had entered a seminar with Philip Roth. So she encouraged me to take a seminar with Jerry Mangione. And he thought that I had uh, a lot of talent. And he particularly was interested in me because he was encouraging uh, a young Italian-American to write fiction. Uh, he then, Penn did not have um, a, a, a really, although they had you know, a few individuals like Philip Roth and Jerry Mangione there, they didn't have a really established writing program. So, but one uh, university that did at that time in the 70s was the University of Pittsburgh. So he encouraged me to take a sabbatical, and I spent a semester at the University of Pittsburgh. And there, um, I, uh, Mark Harris, who was the author of Bang the Drum Slowly and uh, a whole series of baseball novels, um, he's best known now for the movie, which started the career of Robert De Niro, he took me under the wing and under his wing, and he encouraged me to uh, apply to the University of Denver, which had a very acclaimed MFA program at the time, and he had been in that program. So, uh, because of these two gentlemen, um, I had began I began to write, and I, I liked writing a lot, and I wrote. Um, a novel and they referred me to an agent and um, by hook or crook I did not like teaching I did not like being in an MFA program uh, I got on a bus and hitchhiked my way across the country and um, I was so full of myself when the agent suggested that I make changes before she would submit it to a publisher um, I wouldn't do it. And that put the kibosh on my writing career. And um, so uh, talk about uh, being sort of fool yourself and yeah. uh, mistakes you made way back then. Um, so I, I, I did, I, I, what happened at that point in time was I, um, I still love books a lot and I segued into a career in publishing at that point in time. Oh. And at that point, um, I met a. I, I didn't know how to type, believe it or not, which was really a handicap for being a young writer. 
So in those days, and I believe this is still true, in publishing, they didn't have um, assistants uh, or what was then called secretaries. Um, they would take kids from very, you know, from from colleges, and they would act as, um, you know, sort of editorial assistants to the uh, editors. But really, what you were, you were a glorified secretary. And if you didn't know how to type, uh, those jobs were shut down to you. And the only other way, your only other entry position into publishing was to go into sales and marketing. So I worked at a small place called the Architectural Book Publishing Company, and that place went bankrupt after a few years, and I ended up at Columbia University Press. And I had a great time there for five years, and I met a woman who became a really terrific friend of mine, and she, her name is Rachel Clayman. Um, she is still in publishing today. She is at Crown. Uh, I believe she's title is executive editor. She is um, Barack Obama's um, editor, and she is currently working on his memoirs. Um, And um, so she did quite well, but it's, it's, am I rambling on too much? No, this is great. Yeah, go for it. Okay. So, uh, so after five years though, um, I sort of, I sort of hit a dead end and I didn't want to be a salesman the rest of my life. And I knew that I was never going to break into the editorial side of the, of the business. And my other mentor at Penn was um, a woman named Elaine Scary. Uh, and she said to me, and I went back to her and I said, I, I don't know what to do with my life. And she said, you should do what I told you to do when you made that foolish decision to go to enter an MFA program because I told you you don't have the personality to go into academics. You have a big mouth and a hard head and aggressive personality. Go to law school. (laughs) So I went to the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and spent three of the happiest years of my life, actually, in law school because I, I loved, I actually loved law school more than I loved being a lawyer, although I'm very happy being a lawyer and I, I do like it. And um, so I took a very different path. But about, oh God, when was it? Maybe somewhere, maybe 20 years later. Um, I can't remember when I published my first book anymore. But um, Rachel had already had quite, uh, I can't remember, I think she was at Simon & Schuster at the time, but she had already had her first kid. I think she might have already had her second kid at the time. Um, but she was living out in Brooklyn, and um, it was like a Sunday afternoon, and they still had great independent bookstores at the time. And we were spending an afternoon, a Sunday afternoon, walking through a bookstore, and they had all those beautiful tables laid out with all those wonderful covers. And she just looked up for me very wistfully, and she sighed, and she says, you know, I I, I always expected that someday I would walk into one of these stores and I would look down and see 
a novel by Tom Mendocino, you know, the book jacket that said a novel by Tom Mendocino. And, and I was kind of crushed. And I just decided at that moment that, like, um, I love what I do, but there's nothing that would stop me from trying this and giving it a hand at this point in my life. And I started to write at that point in time um, that already had this first sort of surge of, of gay literature. It was after like the Violet Quill and Edmund White had, had, had and, and that whole group and Felice Picano and, and Robert Farrow and all those people and then had all their success and that wave had come through. And, um, and there were a lot of avenues to publish short gay fiction or a lot of uh, opportunities to publish short gay fiction. And I started to write short stories and I sent them out. And of course there was the usual rejections at first. And then they started to get placed and I decided to do try my hand at doing a novel. Mm. And, um, the first one, the first draft was a mess and I showed it to Rachel and um, she was nothing if not blatantly honest and said, um, you know, I always knew you had a hell of a lot of talent, but this is a POS. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, but I said, oh, okay, I guess I was wrong. She says, no, I used to work with a woman at Doubleday who's now a freelance editor. And she ain't cheap but you're a lawyer and you make good money and I'm going to give her a call and I know she's busy and let's see if she'll take you on. And that woman's name was Casey Fuchs. And she worked with me for a year and we turned that into something. And I then took that back. And then the hardest part as it is for any writer, I believe, was not finding a publisher, was that finding an agent. And that was probably the most gruesome and heartbreaking, you know, oh, send me the pages, send me this, send me that, I love this, this. And then you wait, and then you'd hear, and then it was like, oh, this isn't for me. And finally, um, I sent something to an agent named Mitchell Waters, and I never heard from him. And I was just about ready to give up, and I figured, what the hell, I'm going to send it to him again. And three weeks later, I get this phone call from Mitchell Waters. And he says, hi. Um, I like those 30 pages. Could you send me the rest? And the rest was history. And that's how I became a writer. Wow. Well, that's, that's interesting. I think, I think it's good for people to hear what, uh, what a person goes through a lot of times to get published and, and to get it. And, and even when you got that first book done, um, did you feel like you had the confidence to, to continue writing or did you feel like you were good enough to write like when, like what I'm saying is I'm trying to get at 
there's a point where you feel confident enough to call yourself a writer. When did that happen for you? I don't know if I still feel that way today, to be honest with you. Right. Um, because with every project that you do, it, it, it can be, there's some moment with it that's almost soul-crushing that you look at it and you think, oh my God, I, I can't believe that I have produced something this bad. Right. <laughs> and I, I can't believe that anyone would ever take this, ser- anyone would ever take this seriously. So I don't know. I'm sure there are many people and I, that feel differently. And I'm sure that there are many people who are very successful in this world that are filled with hubris and feel differently, but that person is not me when it comes to my writing. Well, I think there's a lot of us that feel that way, but uh, just, but sometimes people gain that confidence. And also now the subjects you write about, you know, I know a lot of writers and I know a lot of people that can do it on a commercial basis. Like they're, they're writing, uh, uh, books, you know, three or four a year, and they're, you know, it's it's very um, industrial. I want to call it, but they do it really well. And I don't think mm-hmm. I could, I could do that. I'm not that person. But when so when you write, does the subject of the book have to be very important to you? Yes, and that's why I don't think I could do that either. Um, I have never um, been. I, I, I well, I, I, I don't know. Um, particularly since um, I, I have been with the same publisher for since the beginning of my career, and this is the first time uh, um, um, I've, I've gotten going in a very different direction now. Um, and um, my former publisher, I, 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 I love them very much. It's just that um, their brand is very different from the, air, uh, the the kind of work that I want to do now, which is a very uh, much darker, more noir type of um, material than I had done previously. Um, the last book that I wrote, The Boys from Ethan Carpenter, um, was sort of a beginning of a turn on the road, and I enjoyed working in 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 that in that sort of genre and wanted to really sort of dig deeper into that. Um, and that just is simply not the type of book that Kensington publishing does. Um, so, um, um, I, I, I don't know if I were to go to a, when I go to a different house, whether they would be the type of person, the type of publishing house would, would want to do, um, a multi-book contract. Um, I don't know if I could work under the type of deadline that having a multi-book contract would require. Uh, I work as a lawyer. I still do. Uh, it's very demanding. Um, I'm also a healthcare lawyer. Uh, so I kept to say that uh, in the last four months, I have probably worked longer hours and more days than I have in the last 10 years. 
if I were working under a deadline right now to publish, uh, to, 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 to put out, um, let's call it product under a deadline, I would probably go to the top of my four-story house and jump off the roof. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, COVID has really, I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm very thankful that I am gainfully employed and the work is extraordinarily interesting what I'm doing now. Uh, but, um, it would, it, you know, my, my life does not accommodate, uh, the idea of, you know, working on that kind of strict deadline to produce, um, a book, um, on the kind of schedule that, you know, doing that kind of, you know, um, I don't, I don't want to call it assembly line because that sounds like I'm, making a you know, pejorative remark and being pejorative, but uh, putting books out on a, on a regular schedule like that, uh, that kind of time commitment, I, I, I can't make that time commitment, and I would not be able to make that time commitment until such a time that I would retire. Yeah. No, no, I agree. I, you know, it's meant for some people, obviously, but not, not all, that's for sure. Um, now, with each one of your books, um, when you write them, um, and people read them, is there something you want to get out, you know, that you want that reader to get out of the book? Is it more than the story? Uh, that's, uh, it's funny because I, I don't, I'm sort of like, I, I, I'm thinking about this, I'm being facetious when I say this because I, I happened to pick up the New Yorker last night and uh, uh, there's a, a review and it's sort of almost sort of like an o overview of her entire career, Joyce Carol Oates, who happens to be, obviously I have not read all of her work. I don't know anybody who could read all of her work because she's uh, so prolific. Um probably take a lifetime to read all of her work, but uh, she's written across so many genres. I'm almost like Joyce Carol Oates. And each of my three major works uh, certainly does genre hop. Um, so my, my, my first book and the book that I'd say that I'm best known for, uh, because it's the book that, uh, that, that has sold the best. It's the book that really established my reputation as a queer writer and in, 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 the, in the queer community. Um, it was a Stonewall, uh, honor book. Um, my first Lambda Award nomination. Um, and, um, you know, gave me some kind of not stature, but gave me some recognition in that community. It was called probation. And um, what was unique about that book, um, I, 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 and it was anything but people thought, uh, because it was a first novel, that it was, you know, autobiographical or, as I've used this reference before, autofiction. And it certainly was not, because it was a book about an individual who was outed in his early middle age because he was caught doing a salacious act in a men's restroom in North Carolina and was kicked out by his home by his wife of 10 years. Um, I am one of those rare individuals who is, uh, I'm 66, 
And uh, I've ne- I mentioned a girlfriend at Penn before, but that was not really serious. I've never really been in the closet. Um, I was kind of lucky because I was one of those uh, extremely effeminate young boys that I don't believe my parents had any they never had any indication that I would ever be anything but gay. So I did not really have any kind of traumatic coming out experience. Um, I think my, my, my brief, um, my brief experience with heterosexuality came as a shock to them, as a matter of fact, but I've never been in the closet at work. Uh, which in the late 70s, early 80s was kind of unusual. Um, I'm sitting downstairs from me right now uh, is my husband, now legally married husband that I've been with for 41 years. But uh, I, this actually was based on an experience of somebody that I met very, very briefly while I was in law school in North Carolina. And like most of my books, uh, with the exception of the young adult book I wrote, um, was I get my ideas from books of somebody that I might meet that triggers my imagination. And this was based on his, I mean, very, very loosely based on his story. And what people took from it, which I got this enormous reaction, and and it was very, 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 very touching to me, uh, this entire community of men who had lived entire lives of being someone who they were not. And these men had been married, um, had had children, and whether through some traumatic event like the protagonist of this book, protagonist of this book, or for some other reason, um, had come out of the closet, and the coming out of the closet was not an easy event, and and this book was and 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 still is meaningful to them. I still get. Um, what is called, I guess, fan mail about it, a lot of appreciative mail about it. And uh, to know that that book has impacted people and touched them in many ways, um, that that really means a lot to me. Um, also, that book meant something. What I wanted to do in that book was I always wanted to do something to for my own parents so um the parents of the protagonist in that book um the story those this their stories are my own parents stories and um in my own way i wanted to, to uh memorial memorialize them um in in a small way, um, in in sort of vignettes. Um, I would like it some, I mean, I'm not going to be able to ever do what my friend Chris Castellani has done in his magnificent trilogy. He took his parents' life and 
uh, wrote a series, a uh, trilogy of novels uh, about their immigrant experience. Um, and I highly recommend it to every, any, uh, anybody who is interested in the, uh, uh, not, not the uh, classic Italian American, uh, um, Im- immigration experience, but the one that, uh, the, the story of immigrants that Im- emigrated, uh, after the Second World War. It's, it's, it's really terrific. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Uh, I also put in a plug for his latest novel, Leading Men, which was... Uh, which is a story, a novelization of the um, relationship between Tennessee Williams and Frank Marlowe. That's also a terrific novel. Um, so um, just putting in a plug for him there. Um, so that's what I wanted to accomplish with my first novel. And um, now with my second novel, um, well, second and third, uh, the second novel is uh, – the second novel was really began as a trilogy, and it's called. Uh, it was pre- first put out as a series of three novellas, and it was originally conceived as a young adult novel, and 
it is uh, because of the, the sexual content was too raw that um, there's also a category that librarians call new adult, which allows for more explicit sexual material in it. But when it finally came time for uh, Kensington to market it for awards material, I found myself being labeled a romance writer. So I was nominated for a Lambda Award for Best Male Romance, which I never thought that I would be a bodice ripper. <laughs> um, but that book is called Stealing Home. And uh, that is a book of that um, is pro- that's actually my favorite book. And that is base that is probably the closest book to my own life um and that is the story over three summers based two years apart about a relationship between a young man who is sort of close to me who is um sort of uh, um a smart ass smart alecky kid who finds himself in an uh, unexpected relationship with a um, very, very talented, um, unexpectedly sensitive, um, abused kid who is um, got a very um, who, who is about to embark on a career as a minor league baseball player. Mm-hmm. And um, did you just recently have John Michelson on as as a guest on your show, I saw? Yeah, I think he was on, I think it aired yesterday. Uh, I interviewed him about a week ago. Yeah, and uh, he, uh, he, he, he wrote a really, really lovely review of that book. It was, and uh, that, he, so uh, I, I, um, I was, that was really touchy. And he published it on Christmas, so it was, uh, it was a it was a really nice Christmas present for me. So, um, is that really important? That, like when when someone you know as a writer, um, yes, it is said something good about what you do. Yes, it does. That makes you feel incredibly validated. Huh. Yeah, it, and I, uh, I can see that. Yeah, it made me feel very very validated um, when, when somebody wrote something like that about that. Um, the last book that I wrote then uh, that came out was um, a book called, and, and is led to where I am today, it was called The Boys from Aiden Carpenter, and it's probably the book of how you found me, because that is what has led me into what I'm doing now, which is the, 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 the subject matter of noir. And um, it really had... I wanted to write something. I, I've lived in Philadelphia since I came here to go to college. Um, I live in an area of Philadelphia called South Philadelphia, which uh, is rapidly gentrifying, but is where uh, Italian-Americans came to settle here. Um, and I had had an experience here that was rather ugly during while I was out canvassing for Obama during the 2008 primary which made me very, very angry, um, sort of a, a minor reflection of what, what's going on now here with the protests here. And 
Um, that is what inspired that book. Um, there is a scene in that book where the main protagonist goes in um, to buy a pack of cigarettes at a lottery dispensing um, convenience store on primary day and has an encounter with the woman running the lottery ticket that actually happened in real life. And that's what inspired me to write that book. Mm. And how it ended up becoming a crime thriller, thriller noir, noir was completely generic. I, I don't know how it happened. I don't know how it ended up with the book opening up with becoming a story about two brothers and the bond between them and the younger brother who was a prosecutor coming to the older brother's house and finding a leak in the floor and opening up a freezer chest and finding a young boy's frozen body in there. Um, but I've never enjoyed writing anything more than that. Mm. And, uh, it just sort of opened up. I, I didn't want to be sort of pigeonholed as necessarily just doing weird things. I love to plot things. Uh, I love to let my imagination run wild. And um, that's uh, how I've ended up doing what I'm doing now. How, how do you develop those types of characters? When you have the two brothers and, and you've got kind of uh, the idea of what story you're writing and um, what's going to happen, how do, you, how do you actually create their characters and develop those characters? Because they're fictional. So um, how do you know when one person's going to react in another way? And You see, it's, it's unusual for me because I, I write from things that have happened, so I take it from what I get as an information. So you create this. Um, is it from people you meet, uh, the people you know, or just it just you just kind of go with it, like a fly fly by the night? Like how do, how does that happen? I, this sounds kind of weird, and I, I don't really. I don't want to sound like I'm. I feel kind of almost odd saying this because I don't want to sound like I'm self-inflating. But um, if I went downstairs and you asked my husband this question, he would tell you that I probably have the most overactive imagination of anybody that he's met. And I don't mean that in the sense that I have an overactive imagination in the sense that I could write around, sit around and write uh, George Martin type of fantasies about dragons and things like that or science fiction. Um, I have, I, I'm the kind of person that um, I, I, I sit and, 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 and people often find this irritating about me. I, I will sit somewhere and, for example, go to a restaurant or go be anywhere. And I will fixate on somebody that is a complete stranger. And I will find something about them that 
fascinates me. They could fascinate me in a way that I find very attractive or find extremely irritating. It could be something about their a piece of clothing they're wearing. It could be something about a tick they have. And I can, and I've done this ever since I was a child. It would drive my mother crazy. It would drive my father crazy, my sister crazy, my husband crazy. It drives my coworkers crazy. And I can go from there and I can begin to extrapolate to that until within 30 minutes, I can create an entire history for that person. And, and I've been, I've, I've done that for my entire life. I, I don't know why I've done that, but I, 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 it's just something, and I don't know that it's a gift. Maybe it's a psychosis. I mean, it very well could be. I mean, I am in therapy. I've been in therapy a long time. Uh, so, um, yeah. There you go. Uh, so, but I do, um, I find other people to be endlessly fascinating. And um, sometimes in a good way, sometimes in a bad way but always to be endlessly fascinating. And everybody has a story. And um, if I don't know it, I will make it up for myself. Mm-hmm. And so it, it really is very easy for me to create characters. Um, and one of the issues that that I have uh, with my writing is is – uh, I often am in a situation where I am never at a loss for characters in anything that I write because in any manuscript uh, that I have done, I have had to cut characters because there are too many of them. And, for example, my, my editor, Kendrick, John Scott-Amelia, and uh, Casey, and uh, who I'd mentioned before, who uh, I had worked with on probation, and um, this uh, incredibly talented uh, reader, Olivia, at my uh, my agency, Branton Hoffman, on the manuscript that is now being shopped. Um, each of those individuals can tell you um, they 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 can, they can list you uh, three buckets of characters that said like. Uh, this is a great person, but this is too many. People are losing crack of this many voices. Hmm. You know, uh, you know, for 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 me, with um, uh, cur- current times, or when things are really kind of, um, you might say, dark in, in essence. You know, COVID nineteen protests, um, nutball president. You got all this stuff going on that's. Um, really effective nutball president <laughs> and i'm using that as a nice term uh, but Please. but when you aren't you aren't you tuning in tonight to, uh, i don't know when this will be broadcast but aren't you tuning in to see the 
up there with his face up there mounted with the great four or what is it? How many are around Mount Washmore? I guess there's four, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, no, unbelievable. I, I, I have no interest in him. I'm, I'm actually up in the uh, Canadian studio. And when we watch the news and we see things going on, it's just crazy. It's just so crazy. But with all of this uh, going on, this encompassing thing and yeah. being hit on both ends, um, being that you write fiction and being that you're creating so much of the character and the, the, the story and everything, is this what leads you into writing noir or darker, more sinister sort of feeling in your book? Um, is this kind of what, what feeds into your... Do, do you feed off your feelings? No, no. This, no, this long predates uh, anything that is going on with um, Trump or 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 COVID or um, I have always been inclined to, um, to I've, as a child uh, I was a huge 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 horror movie um uh fan uh particularly of the old universal horror uh movies um and uh i i i i'm not a, i'm not a pessimistic person but i have always had a a a great um great great fascination with uh with 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 the dark uh i i think probably if you if you ask me my favorite movies that there are things like um i i don't want to write horror particularly um but i do as a child i mean as a child i i was always drawn to things that i was never drawn to 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 comedy i was never drawn to uh, musicals. I was always drawn to things that were, um, uh, uh, I, 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 suspense. I, I, I guess, yeah, the macabre, I, I, I guess. I mean, that's not noir, but I, I guess there's some relationship to it. Um, and I, you know, when you think about what noir is and what it really means, um, it, it really is the essence of, 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 of not being able to establish any, any sense of, of, of what is right there's sort of a lack of a moral center, I guess, is what it is, and that there's something psychologically malignant. And I don't know whether or not... Well, you asked me earlier, before we got on air, you asked me you know, whether or not there were any... Um, subjects that I did not want to talk about and I told you no my life is an open book and so I mean I will be honest with you okay um, I grew up in a in a uh, very working class um, 
uh, neighborhood in Pittsburgh. And I was very, very fortunate that I had uh, very protective parents because it was a very difficult childhood because I was, uh, they used to call me Thomasina. And not my parents, the, the neighborhood kids. And um, it was the type of place where you got the crap beat out of you just for being different all of the time. And I will say that, you know, does that damage you in a way? Of course, that is going to impact you in some way that regardless of what your parents do to protect you, um, there is always going to be some residue or remnant of feeling some level of discomfort in the world. And that feeling that the world is not a safe and not a welcoming place. And that will never quite go away. And, you know, you build up barriers to protect yourself. And that is that having, you know, I grew up and you learned how to become tough. And I will say that, you know, my life changed dramatically when my voice changed and people began to perceive me differently. Uh, and life became a lot easier, but that seed of that child who was bullied and who was tormented and whose parents had to go knock on people's doors and say, if your kid ever does this to my kid again, I will, and we're on radio, so I won't you know, I will keep the language you. down. Yes, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, I think that's, probably what draws me to the world of of it, 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 it to, to, to the dark world of noir hmm. does that make, does that make sense does that it, make well, sense yeah of course it, of course and it's sort of is you know um kind of what i'm saying in a sense that there are certain things that happen in your life um mm -hmm. that lead you into that direction of the darkness um mm. do you do you want to fix things in your in your story like at the end of the story is it going to end happy do you want to turn it around um or do you want no. it just to keep going no no actually um it, it's interesting like um i i mean i i don't know if you if you, if you okay. for example it, it, at the end of um i I, I, w I would encourage everybody who's listening in this to go out and buy a copy of The Boys of Ethan Carpenter as, right, as well as the other books, too, please. Uh, <laughs> but at the end of The Boys of Ethan Carpenter, um, it's a very ambiguous ending. Um, and uh, is it fixed? Well, it's interesting Maybe for one of the brothers, it may be fixed in a way, but for another brother, it's certainly not. Um, but, you know, there is always this, with noir, I believe, there's always a moral ambiguity. Uh, with the book that is currently being um, shopped at this point in time now, um, 
certainly the it's nothing is fixed at the end there is that same ambiguity at the end somebody does you know there are issues some problems are resolved but does that mean that they are resolved to the fact that there is a neat solution and that um for example crime doesn't pay and that there is a moral ending now that will never happen in anything that i write the book one 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 good thing about covid here is that uh that's a horrible thing to say there's no good things about covid uh, one good thing about being stuck in the house when i'm not working is that uh even though i'm working very long hours uh i've got nothing else to do when i'm not working so uh i'm currently working on a manuscript that i i've never completed a manuscript this quickly in my life and in this currently this this book that i'm this manuscript that i'm currently working on uh that is not complete um again uh the resolution will be morally ambiguous but no um i don't think things ever work out r- things ever turn out right or things ever correct themselves i don't think that that's the way life turns out um i don't think that's the way the world is um i i don't i don't see it that way no no happily ever after <laughs> no no well well i did write a, I, th- I actually but, but i i mean not in these novels uh, uh i would say that uh in um in 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 the in the young adult book i wrote there's sort of a there's sort of a happy ever after i thought that the readers of that book does, uh, that the book is called Stealing Home. That if you invested time in in those two young men's story, that you certainly deserved. Uh, you deserved. Uh, people would want and deserve the happily ever after. And even in probation, it's not. He it's not a happily ever after, but he achieves a level of peace of mind. But those books are not noir. They are definitely not noir. No, no, they're uh, they're uh, family thrillers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's actually good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So you you just you just want to keep on writing now until you can't anymore, type thing. Is that sort of something that you enjoy doing? Well, that's that was that is that is the plan. I mean, uh, the plan is is that this is something that. Um, for me to keep me well engaged after I no longer practice law. Hmm. And uh, I don't know how long I will continue to practice law. It's something that I still enjoy, but it really is something that uh, you need to be at the top of your game to do uh, really, really well. And... um, you know, I keep seeing younger people that are very energetic, that are snapping at your heels, mm-hmm. and they're just a little bit quicker than you are, mm-hmm. and uh, they're a little more technically, techno- technologically adept, and uh, they've got a lot more energy. Um, they don't necessarily have the wisdom and experience, but um, 
and also to there's I, I don't want to be one of those professionals that is hanging around and people are saying why is he still here so it's it's a bell I mean, but on the other hand I, I'm just 66 and that's you know a lot most professionals don't retire at 66 but spring. the day is coming soon spring chicken uh, so now, not quite no. oh, well, so. old hand <laughs> tough old bird yeah no um <laughs> So now, where are people going to find you? Where do you have a website that people can come and find out more about you? Yeah, it's www.tommendicino, M-E-N-D-I-C-I-N-O, books.com. Fantastic. So uh, we'll have that on our website. I'll have a, a link to your books as well. Um, so um, hopefully people will jump in and, and search out i mean it's very very interesting conversation there's uh it's it's nice to talk to other writers like that so thank you i and i really appreciate you um uh, searching me out and finding me and um i mean like i say particularly since uh i have not been particularly active in the uh, writing game in the last couple of years so uh your uh, reaching out to me was a, a very very pleasant surprise when i've been immersed in COVID. so I have really enjoyed this. Yeah, it's it's good. uh, It's good. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. The mission has been completed. The end. By George, he's got it. It is the end. I'll see you. If you're lying to me. I'll be back. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.